0: So let's have a, a look into the Bible at Luke chapter 11 in the New Testament. It's on page 1043 if you're following it in the uh, Bibles in front of you or nearby somewhere. There'll be one somewhere in a hand's, hands reach if you need to. Uh, probably the passage will come up on the screen as we go through as well. We're uh, in Luke's gospel, Luke's biography of Jesus, his account of the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ Uh, And and, uh, we're on this journey with Jesus and his disciples, uh, which is the second half of Luke's gospel as they're going towards Jerusalem. And uh, there there are various characters in the story. We've we've met people like Martha and Mary two weeks ago and we're very conscious of the disciples. Another one of the big characters, if you like, quite literally big characters in the accounts are the crowds of people. All around, everywhere Jesus went, there were crowds. And today, the focus is on the way the crowds react to Jesus and how Jesus challenged their response. You see, Jesus always caused a reaction, didn't he? If you read the Gospels, you find that's true all the time. He, the things he said, his teaching, caused people to react The way he behaved, he did some very unusual things for a rabbi to do. The kind of friends he hanged out, or hung out with rather. You know, people like tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and, and the kind of parties he went to so that the religious people just couldn't get it in, in, you know, how it was that Jesus should behave in this way. The questions he asked and the stories he told, everything about him, everything, that's why he's still such an amazing, compelling person. Everything about him kind of causes a reaction. (laughs) What are you going to do about it, as it were? And then there were these things that he did. What he did caused a reaction. The healings, the people he healed from all kinds of illnesses, the people he set free from evil. And these things happened. They were never denied. You know, in the first century, in the few years after Jesus, uh, particularly the Jewish authorities, ha- uh, the Jewish kind of writers, people, had a, had a great interest in, in debunking Jesus. Because obviously they didn't believe he was his Messiah, their Messiah, or he wouldn't have, they wouldn't have crucified him if they thought that. And so there's all kinds of writings we have from the time where Jesus is accused of uh, being a fraudster or doing stuff by the power of evil, but nobody ever says these miracles didn't happen because it was a generation or two afterwards and many of them had relatives or new people who'd been touched by Jesus and, and healed by him. What they said was, no, he did it from an evil source and that's what we get in this story today. And before we get into it, then we have a question to ask, and that is, how do we react to Jesus? What are we going to do? How do the people around us react to him? See, the problem is that we're kind of familiar, aren't we? Or we think we are. We think we know what it's all about. Or maybe if we don't know that much, we kind of box him in, you know, we put him into a a file marked religious or... um, From a long time ago, way back then, either in our lives or in history. And we put that file, as it were, into a filing cabinet method, so to speak. Shut the drawer. That's it. We've got Jesus Christ summed up. It's either religion or it's way back then, you know, a bit like Shrek or something like that. You know, it's kind of to be just left on one side. And and the thing is, that's a pity, isn't it? And I'm going to ask you today not to do that but to look carefully at what Jesus says, to imagine we're there, imagine we're hearing it maybe for the first time or witnessing it and see what we can learn. So let's look at verse 14, chapter 11, verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. This is interesting. I was going to ask you, uh, it's good to see revolution in today. Can, maybe something you can talk about sometimes, what the New Testament has to, to do with the Twilight movies or that whole franchise. Because here we're in this world of darkness and evil. He's driven out a demon and there were people uh, and luke doesn't go into the details of of how he did it or what happened actually there's lots of accounts in luke's gospel of jesus delivering people from the power of evil in fact the very first miracle jesus does in luke's gospel is exactly that but here luke doesn't want to focus on how it happened or what happened he just says in passing as usual as it were jesus was casting out a demon from someone he was a, mute, a man who couldn't speak. You see, there were people in the Bible who have got themselves into a place where something evil has come into their lives and ends up controlling them in some way. And in this man's case, he was unable to speak. And Luke says, Jesus quite simply drives this uh, evil spirit out, drives the evil out of his life and the man starts speaking. He hasn't been speaking for years and suddenly everyone who knew him as the crazy or whatever it was or the the evil or the uh, out-of-control man who couldn't speak is speaking normally. He's like a normal human being again. Now I know some of you are thinking, hey, whoa, just a minute. (laughs) It may be alright for the movies or it may be alright for them but are you seriously suggesting this is... Kind of how it is? Well, let's be honest. Let's think about it for a minute or two. We know about evil, don't we? Haven't we seen it? Haven't we seen something that can start with a behavior and end up rooting deeply into our lives? Or sometimes in a group? Uh, I was reading somebody told a story of, on a, one occasion, uh, a policeman was uh, kind of in a situation and he said, we, we could sense the evil coming round the corner before the people, the rioters, turned up with their bricks and stuff ready to, to, to chuck at us. That's one example. I won't go into too many details here, but I know that, that, that terrible murder that happened in Southampton, just near here. I spoke to somebody who, who knew all three of the people involved and who said lots of us knew who they were. None of us would have expected any of them to be capable of that. But, so what happened? Something seemed to happen. It's not that they weren't responsible, they were, but something kind of seemed to take over. How does it happen? We don't know. Lots of people have suggested ideas, the Bible does give us hints, but we know that it can happen. You know, the Bible speaks about this rebellion against God. A rebellion against his loving rule, his will for the human race and his his kind of goodness. Uh, And that rebellion comes from outside of our reality, outside of this world, the Bible says. It came in and led us as people, led us as the human race into sin, into rebellion against God. And the source of this rebellion in the Bible is called Satan. Uh, And he aims to destroy anything that reflects God's glory, reflects God's image. Not content with rebelling against God himself and enticing others like the human race into that rebellion. He actually wants to smash everything that reflects God's glory and goodness and image. And as human beings, we're made in God's image. We are the pinnacle of his creation. We, in all of his creation, most reflect his image and his glory and his light. And so, not surprisingly, human beings are prime targets just to being smashed to pieces so that this glory, this beautiful uh, creature that's been made to know and love God should be not only enticed to rebel against God, but to, to just be ruined and smashed and destroyed. And we look around our world and we can see that that can happen to some extreme or another. So human beings are his prime target. Because we're made in God's image. And this destruction and distortion of all that God has made. All that God has made us, rather. And all that God wants us to be. He wants to distort and to destroy and to smash it to pieces. Jesus said, uh, the thief comes to kill and to destroy and to steal. He was talking about Satan and his kind of power. And this kind of destruction gets into people's lives. It doesn't all become as bad as it might be. But for some, and this man in this passage is one of them. Sins become habits. They can become distortions. They get rooted in. They become addictions. They become lifestyles. And eventually people become destroyed. And it can show in different ways. And Jesus came upon people like that in the Gospels all the time. In fact, they seem to be drawn to him for some reason. And when he finds them, when they come to him, he always does what we see him do here. He sets people free from what they've got into. The person becomes a human being again, free to follow him, like this man. Started speaking again, restored to how he should be as a human being. And Jesus did the same thing when he was confronted with sickness. Now, let me just say this. Being imprisoned by evil is different to being sick. But sometimes, just sometimes, as in the case of this man in the Gospels here, there are physical effects of evil in a person's life. But that's not always so. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Sickness is not necessarily to do with being dominated by evil or indeed by sin. But in this case, his physical condition was affected by it. Now, I ask you again, you know, if you were thinking, whoa, 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 just a minute, put like I've just put it, we can debate it afterwards if you want, don't we see this kind of stuff around us? If we open our eyes, if we get to know people? See, uh, Martin's nodding. Martin's uh, Well, I won't go to detail, but Martin had a career in the prison service, so I guess you, you've probably seen perhaps more than most of us. We see it. What can happen doesn't always happen, that badly but it can do so I've not used the language of the twilight movies I've not seen any either by the way but I read the reviews but you know the language of demons and evil and all this kind of stuff But but that's actually the only difference isn't it in terms of what I've just described so don't be hung up on the language of the new testament evil is real whatever you call it whether you call it demons or Satan or whatever. It's real. There are forces that get into our lives and in some cases can end up controlling us and even destroying us. Or others. So let's get back into Luke 11. Jesus expels the evil from this man and the man starts talking and everybody around the crowd reacts. But they react in different ways. Did you notice that? They're all amazed. They've got that in common. It says the crowd was amazed. Verse fourteen. But some said, "By Beelzebub he's casting out demons." Now, he, what they're saying—they're talking—they're saying he's doing this because he's evil himself. Beelzebub was the current kind of nickname of the Prince of Darkness at the time. You know, it was a kind of idea. If you said that's, you know, evil, you'd say that's Beelzebub. I can tell you where the name Beelzebub comes from, but it, it's too too much now. But if you're interested, follow it up. Beelzebub was kind of shorthand. It's evil, because he's got. Oh yeah, he's got supernatural power, all right. They're saying, but you know where that comes from. Others in the crowd test Jesus. It says, they test him. They ask for a sign from heaven. So they kind of put off coming to a conclusion about Jesus until there's something they can see for sure a sign from heaven it may be that a sign from heaven they knew the old testament that says that before the end of time you know the the moon will turn to blood or something like that and they thought it'd be great if if we could see that then then we know that the messiah was here and god's kingdom was about to begin it could be they were just saying look we know what you know we're only going to be convinced when we see what we want give us what we want jesus and then we'll believe you it could be they're saying that but the point is, they want to stay neutral until they get what they want. And that leads Jesus to challenge them. He answers their objections, as we shall see. And then he sums it up in verse 23. He said, he, Luke says, he knew what they were thinking. He, kind of, he saw where they were going with this argument and answers it. And then verse 23, look at what he says. Read verse 23. We'll follow it with me. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. See what Jesus is saying there? You cannot be neutral. That's what he's saying. He's saying to the people who weren't saying he's from Beelzebub. They're saying, guys, you can't be neutral any longer. If you're not against me, says Jesus, if you're not saying, um, you know, I'm not from, uh, sorry, if you're not for me, then you're against me. You're either against me or you're for me. There's no other option. Neutrality is not possible when you see this kind of thing happening in front of you. Now, we're a bit attracted, aren't we, to being neutral? <laughs> I am. Uh, maybe it's because, you, know, uh, you know, we're a kind of English and we don't like to get too hot under the collar about anything, do we? So we kind of, hey, well, maybe this or, or maybe that or whatever. Or, or we think, you know, being passionate might be a little bit, you know, so it's better to stay neutral and a bit kind of cool. Weigh it all up. Let's see what happens. I wonder why that is. But Jesus says here, look, you're either going to have to be clearly loyal to me, guys, or forget it. You're against me. Well, yes, some of you might think, oh, but, yeah, but you know, you, what about all this stuff about being on a journey? You know, take your time, make your mind up. You, we do Christianity explore, so you've got lots of time to think of it. Yes, that's true. But what Jesus is saying to these people in Luke 11 is that you've, there comes a time to decide. There comes a time when, when you've seen enough. He's saying to these people, you've seen enough to conclude that my power comes from the devil. That's enough to follow me or be against me that time will come and maybe the time is here for some of us see we can be neutral can't we about the idea of committing our lives to Jesus like the people here Jesus is simply saying the time comes when we can't be neutral anymore you may not be at that point yet but you might be but the time comes but let's just think about those of us who are followers of Jesus shall we can't we be a bit neutral sometimes in the way we follow him? Yeah, we've come to know him and we know him and we love him and so on. But, hey, you know that, um, have you noticed that in uh, Afghanistan, there are some, I, I, may be, I may be, must be a bit careful because I didn't research this carefully enough, but I understand that there are some countries send troops to the ISAF forces in Afghanistan, yeah? You know, the, the forces that fight in Afghanistan, they come from lots of different countries. And isn't it right that there are some countries that have sent troops and said, "We're not prepared to fight." Is that right? They, they, they say the reason we, we we in the Americas are losing so many. People in Helmand province, that there are countries, and I won't name them because I'll end up maligning them because I don't know who they are, but, uh, well, I do, but I've forgotten the details. There are some countries say, yeah, we'll, we we'll help in Afghanistan, but please, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go to Helmand province, you, you must be joking, that's not where our, Howard's nodding, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah there are people, you know, that have said that. Now, I just wonder whether sometimes, you know, they say, well, you know, we'll do, you know, we'll help out in different ways, or we'll do the cooking, or well, I don't know what they're saying, but, you know, the idea is, please don't, you know, we're not going to send our people there, because they might die, is what they say. Now, can it be like that we, as we're followers of Jesus, have that kind of approach? You know, we're okay so far, but please don't put me in anywhere there, where I might die for my faith, or it might cost me something. And that kind of spirit of neutrality kind of seeps into our discipleship, our following of Jesus. Don't be neutral about Jesus. Don't be neutral about following him. That's the conclusion Jesus comes to. You cannot be neutral. But how does he get to that conclusion? If we unpack these verses in between, verse 17 to verse 22 we'll see that there are three reasons Jesus gives them why you cannot be neutral about him. If you see these three things, says Jesus, then neutrality becomes impossible. So let's see what he says. Let's read it, verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself... How can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him... He takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. So what's all that about? Three reasons why we can't be neutral, according to Jesus. Here's the first one. Jesus starts off by saying, look, there's been a real assault on Satan's kingdom. He said, what you're seeing in front of you is a real attack ...on the kingdom of darkness. It's very real and it's, it's having an impact. Jesus uses this picture of a kingdom being at war with itself. And if a kingdom is at war with itself, then that's the end of it. So Jesus is saying, look, if what you're saying, you're telling me that what I'm doing here... Uh, in releasing people from demonic forces, is from Satan. Look, what I'm doing here is not you know, letting a little, you know, doing a little bit of you know, pseudo-help. I'm really inflicting real damage on a kingdom. If what I'm doing is, is from, from, from the evil place itself, what I'm doing is real damage. It's, you know, if it's, it's ridiculous, he's saying. Behind his point is this assumption he's making a real assault on the kingdom of darkness. And he says more about that in a moment. So you might say, "Well, is Jesus just using their arguments and defeating them with logic?" Well, no, he's not, because he's telling them that they know it's real. Because he says, "Look, you people, you do some exorcisms. Your people release people from demons. Where does their power come from? Presumably from God. Or are you saying that your people get power not from God but from the evil forces themselves?" And in any case, it's not a debating point because the man who'd been mute probably for many, many years was talking in front of them. So what Jesus is here saying is that we cannot be neutral because Jesus here is inflicting real damage on a real kingdom in a real war. And when you're in a real war, neutrality is a bit difficult. There's no place to go to just sit it out and see what happens and think, Oh, I'll be neutral, see see who wins and we'll get on that side later. If Jesus is doing this, as he says, by God's power, if he's making this assault on Satan's power and Satan's kingdom, then it's not a place to be neutral. It's real. And Jesus poses two alternatives. He says, look, either I'm driving out demons by Beelzebub, or, he says, by the finger of God. What does he mean by that? Well, that brings us to the second reason why we can't be neutral. The first reason is there's a real assault on Satan's kingdom, and Jesus is kind of heading it, and it's real damage being inflicted, and we need to decide whose side we're going to be on. Secondly, he says, if I, by the finger of God drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. That's the second reason we can't be neutral. The kingdom of God has come. This finger of God, if you wanted to, you could look up Exodus 8. That's the story of the great plagues of Egypt. And um, one of the plagues, um, the Pharaoh is, is, is wanting to keep going, you know, keep oppressing the Israelites. And his top magicians in Exodus 8 say to him, Pharaoh, you better be careful because this is the finger of God. This is God working. This is God doing something in the exodus, in, 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 in beginning to release his people. Even the pagans saw that. Pharaoh didn't, but his advisors did. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And at the time, the people knew what they, he meant because they were expecting it so much. They were expecting God to move again. Like in the Exodus, God to come into the world and, uh, and be kind of delivering on all the promises he's made, he's made to the Israelites in the Old Testament. That he would come. That there would be a, a, a loving rule of God that touched people's lives. A program, if you like. We thought about it last week. A program which would eventually bring everything back into the right place. This world, this whole even creation that's out of kind of kilter with god is going to be brought back and this program of the kingdom of god is is what what's going to to achieve that they were expecting that and jesus is saying the program has started now as he's with them that's how he began his ministry in luke 4 it's begun the king is here he's saying he's saying that if jesus is releasing people from satan's grip by god's power then it's evidence that the kingdom program of god has begun The new day, says, Jesus is dawning. It's beginning as the king arrives, as Jesus comes. It continues through his life, his death, his resurrection and the pouring of the Holy Spirit out on the church. And it continues by the Holy Spirit today until he comes, until it will all be tied up and finished with. And the new age of Jesus' rule and love and light and glory begins. Now if that's true, Jesus is saying if the kingdom of God has come among you if we can know the loving rule of God in our lives now if who Jesus is has started this great program how can we be neutral we can get with the king we can be part of his salvation movement or he says we can face the consequences of being on the wrong side don't be neutral about Jesus he says the kingdom is here it's now So let's follow him with passion, with intent. And then Jesus tells them a story to show why we can't be neutral. And you see that story in verse 21? It's about a strong man. It's a very interesting picture. You look at the language Jesus is using here. A strong man, fully armed guarding his house and his stuff. I've got an image, forgive me if you're one of these people, of some of these kind of, uh, what they call the NRA, you know, the gun lobby in the States, you know, armed to the teeth because they want their guns and they're in their house and they're going to protect their stuff. Anyone comes in, you know, they're going to take them out. That, that kind of, that, that's the picture. Jesus, imagine a, a strong man in his house, you know, surrounded by his stuff, armed to the teeth. No one's going to get in. He All his stuff is safe. That's the end of it. And he's fine until a stronger man arrives. And the stronger man comes and attacks the man in his house, overpowers him and liberates his stuff. Wow, that's strong language. Now guys, you know, some people say feminine gospel. This isn't very feminine, is it? It's full of you know fighting and coming in and getting, getting with it, as it were. It was kingdoms in conflict in the first bit. Now it's about personal flight. Fight rather. Than fight, fight. So what's the third thing? There's been a decisive victory. Jesus says. You can't be neutral because there has already been a decisive victory. Jesus is the stronger man. He's come into this world. He's overpowered the strong man. He's overpowered Satan. He's taken away his protection. This, this kind of strong, intimidating man who can do so, or, or being, or, or kingdom, or symbol of that, that can do so much damage, has actually been defeated. He can be overcome. The book of Revelation is full of references to those believers who overcome. How do they overcome? It says, by the blood of the Lamb, the, the blood of Jesus, because of the death of Jesus and the Word. The word of their testimony. Though this enemy, this evil kind of force, this power, however you call it, can still hurt us. Don't get, don't get me wrong. He can. But he's disarmed. And we can escape his power as we trust ourselves to God's champion, the stronger man, Jesus and you, have we got time? Yeah, I'm going to be finished in about three minutes. I'll make the half an hour, I think. I want to just look at a couple of verses. Sorry, Rob, I was going to give you these references before. But if you could either follow, follow them or listen. One's in Colossians 2, verse 13. These are references to the same thing from Paul's writings. He, he, and this is on page 1183, if you want to follow it in the text. Oh, thanks, Rob. Well, Um, and I'm going really from the the middle of the verse actually Uh, God made you alive with Christ he forgave us all our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulation that was stood against us Uh, I won't mention that he took it away nailing it to the cross that's one of the picture of what Jesus has done but this is it verse 15 and having disarmed the powers and authorities he's referring to the powers of evil here Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See what Paul is saying? The strong man, the stronger man, has defeated the strong man. Disarmed him. In the cross, made a public example, a public spectacle. You get the same image uh, just back in Ephesians 4, verse 7. uh, A few pages back. It will come on the screen, page 1175. And again, it's a reference to the Old Testament, verse 8 rather, Ephesians 4, verse 8. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to people. It could be men and women there, gifts to people. See, the image of Jesus' ascension, like a victorious warrior, going on high. And, you know, in the old days, in those days when the New Testament was written, the, 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 the winner, kind of the winning army, went into the city of Rome, if it was a Roman, or wherever he came from, with a great big kind of load of people dragged behind him. These were all the people he captured and, 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 and plundered and humiliated, and it was like a symbol. And this is the image that is used of Jesus, he's he's defeated captivity itself. The very thing that binds us up, he broke it on the cross. And one other reference in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14. Actually, we won't look at that, but you can check it yourself. Again, it's the image of Christ's victory so we can be released there is a decisive victory why can't we be neutral because there's been a real assault on god's kingdom why can't we be neutral because the kingdom of god has come to you why can't we be neutral because there's been a decisive victory so we can be released there's victory because the kingdom is here god is at work jesus is triumphant why be neutral (laughs) There's no need to hedge your bets, is there? It's clear enough. He's done it. Why wait for more signs? If you're in the strong man's house, if you're like one of the strong man's possessions, now might be a good time to get out because the strong man has been defeated by a stronger man. Why be neutral? Get into the fight. Enjoy the spoils. Work with the king as the kingdom continues to release people. To release situations in Satan's grip. Don't just watch. Engage. As believers. Don't be neutral. Don't watch. Engage. Have a a, a spirit about our lives this week that we're not going to watch. We're going to engage. Because we don't want to be neutral. It's so easy to be neutral about Jesus. It's so easy to be neutral about committing our lives to him, but it's easy to be neutral as well about sin in our lives as believers. Temptations and vulnerabilities, to be neutral to those things. The message Jesus is giving, we can fight, we can resist, we can overcome. We don't have to let the enemy walk all over us because a stronger man has defeated him. I'm going to finish with a reference to a great film. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, part three. If you know the book, seen the film. I'm thinking about the other hobbits, you know, Merry and Pippin. They're not on the quest, are they? They're kind of hanging out with with uh, the new king. And these little people, who seem so insignificant in one sense, but in, in God's hands, because you know, behind the whole thing, there's some bigger force working in the Lord of the Rings, but that's another story. These little people have got two great desires as that film comes to an end, as the story flows. What are their two desires? To be close to their emerging king and to fight with him in loyalty and love. This king uh, is soon to be recognized. They've seen him. Others are still getting there. One, And he's ground, isn't he, in the, at the end of the book, in the film. And they're going to get close to him and fight with him in loyalty and love. And it's a picture of how we're to be as his people. Close to him. Fighting with him. Engaging in the battle in his strength. We can't be neutral. Amen.